Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In one of the worst performances in the Greg Berhalter era, the U.S. men's national team in a friendly, one of the last friendlies before the World Cup, one of the last opportunities to see the guys to tune things up, to get things situated, the U.S. go out and lay an absolute egg to Japan. A 2 to nothing loss that could have been a lot more if not for the heroics of Matt Turner, one of the few Americans on the day uh, who I think carried himself very well. Uh, it was absolutely awful from start to finish. There were some parts that were better than others, but I think cumulatively uh, it was an absolute failure uh, for both the coach and the players on the field. And we'll kind of get into what exactly went wrong, um, what was supposed to happen, and what actually did happen. What were some of the reasons that led to that? And is there any reason after that to, to have some hope as we head into Qatar? I know that hope is not something that I've had a lot of in the last few days. Uh, but let's get into it. All that and more on this episode of the Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is the Yank Report, a show where we talk about the U.S. men's national team, U.S. soccer, the impending World Cup which seems to be ominously impending after that result against Japan. If you want to support the channel, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Let's get into it, but before we do, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. So there's a lot of things that can be said about what went wrong in this game against Japan. I think a lot of it can be summed up in the quote that Tyler Adams gave after the game whenever asked, you know, what the hell was that that just happened? He said, I think that some of the teams in CONCACAF, you know, the Mexicos and the Hondurases, they've pressed us and we found solutions. We just needed to find solutions earlier on. I think that we had a match plan and I think it would have been effective if we stuck to the game plan. But sometimes I just felt that maybe we just started to search for individual solutions instead of sticking together, sticking to the match plan, staying disciplined in our game plan. And you saw Japan, they did that well. They had one game plan and it was effective. So before we get to the game, let's talk about some of these solutions that Tyler was talking about that the U.S. found in order to break the press during World Cup qualifying. And in the summer, whenever the U.S. put together some solid performances against uh, Morocco and Uruguay, uh, I, I think... The first and easiest answer to how the U.S. has been able to break the press so far uh, can be summed up in one word and one name, and that's Yunus Musa. I, I think the easiest and most direct way that the U.S. has reliably been able to break the press is give the ball to Yunus Musa. He beats whatever player is pressing him, and, and suddenly he has the whole field to charge at. Uh, and we've seen that regularly for the U.S. men's national team uh, just about every game that Yunus Musa has played. The next way that the U.S. has reliably broken the press in the past, and this is something that's interesting because it's not something that I ever really appreciated until it was gone. In fact, there were a lot of times where I kind of criticized this, uh, and now whenever it wasn't there and I saw the impact of this player not being on the field and doing this job, I understand why it's so important to the team, and that's Christian Pulisic dropping in. I think throughout World Cup qualifying, uh, we pointed to one of the reasons why Christian Pulisic was just not as effective as we wanted him to be is because he was dropping into midfield so much and touching the ball so far back in the buildup and not being quite as effective further up the field. 
However, we saw in this game against Japan that without Christian Pulisic dropping in and getting those touches, we lost a really important touch point in, in the buildup. Uh, whenever Christian Pulisic drops back, he does a number of different things. Sometimes he just takes a touch and he lays it off, but the space that he creates allows opportunities for other players to get forward. We've seen him lay it off for Yunus Musa, who makes a charging run. We've seen him lay it off for uh, Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney or somebody else who can take that ball, find the, the next pass up the field or make a run up the field in, in the U.S. or away. Another thing Christian Pulisic does whenever he drops in is sometimes he decides to take a touch and and make a pass upfield himself or drive upfield himself. We've seen him do that a number of times. Or what happens a lot is he gets hacked down and the U.S. gets a free kick and suddenly we're upfield. Um, I think the the play to Yunus Musa and the play to Christian Pulisic, I think are our most reliable break the press options. And a lot of the things that we do otherwise are, are sort of um, one-two punches off of this combination, this, this play that we rely on so heavily without those two players on the field, Musa and Pulisic, to, to reliably get the ball to to break the press. The U.S. really got lost. And then the last option that I'll mention that I think we see the U.S. break presses with time and time again is uh, vertical runs up the field. And on the right flank, this is generally provided by Tim Weah. Uh, Tim Weah is is unique in a, in a few reasons. Uh, other than being a phenomenal player with the ball at his feet, he is a bigger physical guy and he can go up and win balls in the air. He also has the speed to threaten the defense in behind. And we've seen a number of times throughout World Cup qualifying where this option uh, puts pressure on the defense. And what's interesting about this option is making that vertical run down the field uh, puts pressure whether or not the U.S. wins the ball or not. Either way, the, the defense has the ball, and for a moment, they're a bit disorganized, they're a bit further back, and it allows our players to get upfield and either win second balls or create pressing opportunities to win the ball again. Uh, I think without Tim Weah on the field, uh, we struggled in that aspect. Now, upon rewatch of the game, one thing that sort of stuck out to me that I wasn't expecting was that in the opening 10 minutes, you actually saw the U.S. going through these progressions, and it was actually somewhat effective. It was effective in the sense that it was forcing Japan to cover different areas of the field. We saw the U.S. hit the ball up to uh, Brendan Aronson a few times whenever he was making direct runs in behind. He was unable to win the ball, and he was getting pushed off the ball pretty easily. Uh, however, it was forcing Japan to honor that run. We saw Weston McKinney make some penetrating runs early on. We saw Serginho Dest make a penetrating run up the flank early on and create that opportunity for Jesus Ferreira. Uh, the U.S. were doing some things that were working in the opening 10 minutes. But after the opening 10 minutes, whenever the U.S. got stonewalled a few times on some of these build-up movements, I think that we saw uh, some of that stuff that Tyler Adams referred to in players trying to do things individually and getting away from the game plan start to manifest itself. These mistakes started happening that started accumulating, and we start to see this Japanese press uh, kind of build like a boa constrictor, just slowly but surely uh, destroying the life of the U.S. men's national team's buildup and eventually leading to uh, just some shocking displays from the U.S. Now, what we saw on the field tactically uh, that I, I think really hurt us was, first of all, that front line of Gio Reyna, Jesus Ferreira, and Brendan Aronson uh, are, are three players that we've seen do quality things individually at times for the U.S., but as a unit, none of them are really going to offer that penetrating run in behind, and I think we saw throughout the game all three of them try to drop into space in a lack of, of runs in behind, either from Brendan Aronson or Jesus Ferreira, who we've seen do that in the past. 
really start to constrict and compress uh, the U.S.'s buildup. It allowed the Japanese to not fear the ball in behind, and it kind of continued to compress the U.S., uh, and we saw those errors start to compound. Uh, furthermore, in the midfield, I think Weston McKinney had probably his worst game of all time in a U.S. men's national team shirt. Uh, it, it just began to get shocking, uh, some of the touches that he had and some of the turnovers that he had. Of course, he has a turnover that leads to the goal, but he had a few other turnovers that were just absolutely awful uh, that led to this as well. And then Luca De La Torre, um, not only just the poor touches, but I think the lack of bravery from Luca De La Torre. You know, Luca De La Torre is sort of billed as this player that can kind of more or less do the job that Yunus Musa does, where he can take the ball and make these direct and penetrating runs. But on more than one occasion, we saw Luca De La Torre with an opportunity to make a run actually stop the ball, uh, stop the attack, and turn around and pass it backwards. And that backwards pass for a team that is looking to get vertical up the field as quickly as possible uh, really became an issue because as we know, the weakness of the U.S. men's national team, uh, especially in this game, was going to be the back line and the ability for the back line to distribute. So anytime you're passing the ball backwards, whenever you have an opportunity to counterattack, it means that that back line is getting more touches with defenders in their face, which is absolutely not where we want to be. So you end up in a situation where uh, Walker Zimmerman is playing balls that aren't that great or uh, Sam Vines and, and, and Aaron Long are combining for just really not great build-up options or uh, Matt Turner's kicking the ball straight out of bounds, which happened a number of times. And we really got to see that from that 10-minute mark to about that 30-minute mark. The U.S. just... There was a lack of bravery. There was a lack of anyone looking to um, make runs up the field or try passes. I think everyone on the field outside of maybe Walker Zimmerman and Gio Reyna just lacked any willingness to try things. And there was that fear of turning the ball over, which just led to more turnovers and more compounding mistakes. The other big tactical issue was the positioning of Sam Vines. I think I watched the first half again and just paid a lot of attention to where Serginho Des was on the field versus where Sam Vines was on the field. I think we've seen on a regular basis that with Anthony Robinson on the field, he is pushed very high up on the left wing, often higher than Christian Pulisic. Uh, especially whenever the U.S. is in possession. Sam Vines, on the other hand, was often at least 10 to 15 yards behind where Serginho Dest was. Uh, this meant that the left flank just had no width at all, and it allowed the Japanese just to compress even more, and it really cut off balls to Gio Reyna, and it cut off balls to uh, Jesus Ferreira. What it also does is it, it forces the midfield, the U.S. midfield, to compress as well because uh, usually in possession... Uh, with Anthony Robinson vacating that left back spot and getting further up the field, it allows someone like Weston McKinney or Eunice Musa to get wide and, and fill in that left back position and space things out a little bit more. With Sam Vaughn staying back, uh, it meant that Weston McKinney in this case was forced to stay narrow uh, and it meant that the Japanese could cover more players with less players, clog up more passing lanes with less players and really force us inside uh, and force us to um, build up with a lot of passes, which is not something in our strength. And we saw that lead to a lot of turnovers. So what could have been better? I, I think I'll break this up into two parts. I think uh, I'll, I'll have criticisms of uh, Burhalter and the structure in one section and, and the players themselves in another section. Let's start out with the players themselves. I think the first thing would be Sam Vines' positioning. I think he has to get further up the field. Sam Vines has to be even with Serginho Des. He has to be providing that width on the flank because he is the one providing that width on the flank. And without it, 
uh, the U.S. becomes very narrow and allows the Japanese to just tee off on us. It looked like um, a, a defensive line on third and long where they were just had their ears pinned back and were just coming for the quarterback. Now, I have a feeling that Sam Vines was instructed to get further up the field, and he just failed to do so because he does not have a lot of experience with this team. Uh, remember, this is he's coming back to this national team for the first time in a long time and just doesn't quite understand it. Plus, he was under siege, and I think a little bit had to do with him uh, helping out Aaron Long, who is one of the weaker center back options that the U.S. has. Number two, I, I think Aronson and Ferreira have to be making runs in behind. We've seen both players do that and, and be effective with it at times, but neither of them after, say, the 10 minute mark were really doing so uh, regularly or reliably. Remember, you don't have to win the ball and be effective with these runs in behind in order for them to help out the rest of the team. You just have to make the defense respect it and honor it in order to create and open up space for everybody else. The failure to do so, the, the dropping in and just becoming more compact, just played right into the Japanese hands and allowed them to press us into absolute oblivion. And the last thing, and I don't really know how to categorize this other than to say Luca De La Torre and Weston McKinney just flat out have to be better. For Weston McKinney, I mean, he's supposed to be one of the best players that the U.S. men's national team have. Now, I remember coming into this game, he's been criticized heavily for his performances for Juventus, though his head coach Allegri has been playing him for a lot of minutes. A lot of that is because of a lot of the injuries that Juventus have right now, but his performances have not been very crisp, not up to the level that we've seen Weston McKinney at his height. Uh, and I think we saw that manifest itself in this game. Now, granted, this was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from Weston McKinney. And, and frankly, I don't know how the U.S. can be good during the World Cup if we're getting these performances from Weston McKinney. He has to be better, regardless of the tactics, regardless of what's going on around them. In order for the U.S. to be good, Weston McKinney has to be better than this. Now, Luca De La Torre, he's a player that just hasn't gotten minutes since he's arrived in Spain. Uh, so this was a big concern with him coming into camp. What kind of form was he going to be in? I think that he can be better. I think that there's better versions of him in there. He had consistent back passes. Um, he didn't show a lot of bravery on the ball and, and moving the ball forward. We didn't get those runs from him that we were expecting, those vertical runs that, that are supposed to be his calling card. Just a, a terrible game for Luca De La Torre. Whenever you have two midfielders just turning in absolute stinkers like that, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the players on the field. Now, whenever it comes to Greg Berhalter, I think he deserves a lot of the blame as well. Number one for the setup. Uh, and number two, for just not doing anything at all, whenever the U.S. was just struggling to possess the ball, struggling to get anything going at all. And I think this is one of the big criticisms of Greg Berhalter is his in-game adjustments just don't seem to be a thing that he does at all. Uh, we understand that the substitutions that he made at halftime uh, were decided before the game. So I'm not sure that he made any adjustments at all during the game, at least none that I can see. Um, aside from screaming at these players and asking them to do what they're supposed to be doing on the field, get Vines to come further up, get Ferreira and, and Aronson to make these runs in behind, get Weston to just stop whatever he's doing. Uh, I, I think the first thing he could have looked to do was swap the wings. I think we saw um, Gio Reyna was probably the U.S.'s best player on the field, probably the best attacker in the few moments where he got the ball. Really good things happened, but he just failed to get on the ball very much at all uh, for because of a lot of the structural things going around him. Brendan Aronson, on the other hand, was getting balls fizzed into his feet. I think Walker Zimmerman, one of the few players on the field who was brave enough to make line-breaking passes, was consistently hitting um, Brennan Aronson at the feet, but he just was not strong enough to hold the ball up uh, and, and do anything progressive with it. He was getting bodied off the ball left and right. 
one of the worst performances we've seen from Brendan Aronson in a U.S. Men's National Team shirt. Just swap the wings and let Gio Reyna receive those balls. He's a lot stronger, and we're going to get better results whenever he gets it. And maybe that creates some type of beachhead, allows the team to get something going, and maybe gets them out of this funk. A simple move that I, I don't understand why we don't do it. We, we don't really do it at all, ever. The other move that I would have liked to have seen, which is a bit avant-garde for the U.S. men's national team, we don't see it a lot at all, but it, it's I'm stealing it directly from Juventus because I see Juventus do this all the time, is let's take Weston McKinney, who is having the worst game I've ever seen from him in the buildup for the U.S. men's national team, and get him the hell out of the midfield and put him uh, as one of the wingers to allow the U.S. to have an option to hit it long to him so he can go out and be physical and win, win balls. And let's take Gio Reyna, who is strong in the midfield, who is a player that you can pass the ball to and be ball secure and be progressive and move him into the midfield. We see Juventus do this all the time with Wes. Uh, Wes isn't heavily involved in the buildup for Juventus. He's pushed forward. And then whenever Juventus get forward, he kind of comes back into the defense. He kind of swaps like that all the time. Why? Uh, let's try that. Let's do that. Let's let's do something. Do anything. Now, if you notice throughout this video, I haven't been all that critical of the U.S.'s back line. I know that a lot of the criticism has been heaped upon Aaron Long. I know that he's kind of been the whipping boy for the fan base for the past few games, and he he's not he was not very good in the game against Japan. And I, I did not mention him or Walker Zimmerman or Sam Vines or Serginho Dest to this point. Uh, because I think they had particularly good games. I, I think the issues that we saw from the U.S. Uh, were not back to front, but they were front to back. I think at a soccer game, if your front line is unable to threaten the opposition's defense, uh, and they're not worried and they're able to push forward, and your midfield is unable to maintain the ball and is just turning it over and making silly mistake after silly mistake, and, and nobody in the midfield or the attacking line is being brave to push forward at all, Ultimately, you're going to end up with the ball at the feet of your center backs a lot, and you're going to have a, a opposition who is pinned back, looking to win those balls, looking to clog up passing lanes, and you're going to get a terrible performance uh, distribution-wise from your center backs. I, I didn't think that they were equal. I thought Zimmerman was a lot braver and a lot better, uh, had a lot better performance than Aaron Long. Aaron Long was pretty terrible. I think we knew that going in. I think we know the center back is a big weakness for this team. And whenever you start getting these injuries like we've gotten with Miles Robinson, with Cameron Carter-Vickers, Chris Richards, you end up in this situation where you're having to start guys who just flat out aren't very good. I'm assuming that the next game we'll see somebody other than Aaron Long start at center back. I'm assuming it's going to be Mark McKenzie or maybe EPB. But to be honest, I'm not very enthused by either of those guys either. I, I think they all have mistakes in them. Uh, maybe they're not quite as shambolic with the ball of defeat uh, as Aaron Long, but I think they have deficiencies in other areas uh, which will manifest themselves. It's not like we have a good option right now as center back. I guess that leads to the fallout from the game and some of the response from the fan base. I kind of try to stay off Twitter for a few days, stay off social media, uh, because it really turned into like the Spanish Inquisition on Twitter where like fans were just at each other's throats and like just trying to publicly humiliate each other for reasons I, I don't quite understand. But I think the consensus of the fan base can be uh, captured in, in a comment that I received recently on the YouTube channel. Um, and it deals with sort of expectations for this team. And the comment said something to the extent of, uh, uh, this is a knockout round caliber team uh, that is being held back by their manager. If we had a different manager in there, this team would be much better. And while I agree that the U.S. would be a better team with a better manager, I do have to ask like a really uncomfortable and really just unpopular question. And how talented is this team really? I, I think 
whenever we think about the expectations that we have for this group, these are expectations that we set a long time ago, whenever the group was a little bit different than it is right now. I mean, going through the list of the players that we have available to us, I mean, our top guy is Christian Pulisic. I mean, the expectations that we set for Christian Pulisic a few years ago, whenever he was this budding superstar that had arrived at Chelsea and was showing glimpses that he could be one of the top players in the Premier League, uh, are different than what we see from Christian Pulisic right now. A player that's had a lot of injuries, a player that's been very inconsistent, a player that's playing a system that doesn't really suit his needs, which is leading him to be a, a bench player, a player that's coming in for substitute minutes but not nearly considered one of the top players in the EPL or one of the top attacking talents in the world. He's really fallen off his perch from that. Uh, and then we move down the list. I mean, Weston McKinney is a player that we've seen reach incredible heights, uh, but at the moment, he's a player that is returning from injury, is struggling to regain his form, is looking kind of sloppy at his club at times, uh, and he's playing at a club situation where uh, the club is not performing up to standards. There's a lot of injuries at the club, and there's a lot of rumors that the manager, who seems to back Weston to the hilt, uh, is on his way out. So there is turmoil going on right now, and I think that manifested itself in, in, in what we saw from Weston in this window. When we look at Gio Reyna, uh, a few years ago, he was an absolute budding superstar and, and one of the top players in the world at his age group. Today, uh, I think a lot of that is still true. However, in this moment right now, uh, he's recovering from a long-term injury. Um, his club has been very careful with him, and he's not yet 90 minutes match fit. To make things worse, he missed the entirety of World Cup qualifying just about and the tune-up games in the summer. So he is a player that, while has this immense talent, is a little bit out of step with the rest of his teammates on this national team. I think we saw that manifest in this game. Tyler Adams is a player that when he arrived at RB Leipzig and was getting minutes right away and was doing really good things as a player that we all thought could be like the next N'Golo Kante, this great defensive midfielder, uh, this player who could become one of the top defensive midfielders of his generation. Flash forward a few years and after some lackluster periods at RB Leipzig, where I think his ability to uh, play progressive passes uh, really got exposed at RB Leipzig. He ends up getting to Leeds, which fits more into his style, but I think we understand that he's he's kind of a limited player, that he's wonderful um, in this certain type of team where he can be this defensive six and he can break up counterattacks, but you're not going to get a whole lot with him on the ball and moving forward with the ball. Our center backs are not very good. I think our best prospect at center back is going to be Chris Richards, and he's a player uh, that is kind of a bench player and, and one for the future uh, over at Crystal Palace. And, and to make matters worse, he's injured and has been injured for the national team uh, for the last few windows. So he's sort of in the situation where Gio Reyna is, where uh, he's going to be thrown into a situation at the World Cup where he hasn't played with the rest of these guys in a while. How will that manifest itself? Tim Weah has been one of the bright sparks for the national team. He's been one of the most effective players for the national team at Winger, uh, provided a lot of offense for us throughout World Cup qualifying, and, and plays a very important role for the squad. Uh, now, to be fair, at his club team over in France, he hasn't quite lived up to those expectations. He hasn't been a phenomenal player for them. He's been a good player, but not exactly the player that the team relies upon for uh, goals and assists on a regular basis. And to make matters worse, he's been injured since the beginning of the year uh, and, and hasn't had an opportunity to play at all this year. Uh, so he's going to be coming in cold to this team in the World Cup. And then Sergio Dest, our superstar right back, had this big money move to Barcelona. Uh, things were looking great as Sergio as one of the top right back prospects in the world. Maybe that's still 
still true, but after some injury issues and after some issues with the new coach, uh, he became persona non grata at Barcelona, gets the transfer late in the transfer window, and is now a backup right back at AC Milan, which, while isn't the worst thing in the world, I think, as you can say for a lot of these players, is not quite where we thought he would be at this position heading into the World Cup. So I do have to ask, are our expectations for the talent level of this team where they should be? Um, I- I'm hoping that this team that is young and inconsistent uh, can pull it together and we see it reach the heights that it's reached at some points uh, under the Greg Berhalter era. But the majority of these players that we're relying upon to be big players in the World Cup are not reaching the expectations that we set for them uh, over the last few years. And and they're known at their clubs as being kind of unreliable and kind of inconsistent and injury prone. Uh, And that's where we find ourselves a couple months away from Qatar. Now, do I think that a better manager would have this team performing better and more consistently? Probably, probably. I I guess that you you can't really deny that. Like a better manager would have the team performing better. But at the end of the day, the World Cup and soccer in general is usually determined by who's got the best players on the pitch. Uh, The team with the best players generally wins. Ultimately, it's going to be the quality of the players on the field and the quality of the depth. And I I think some of the things that we thought were true of this team leading into the World Cup may not necessarily be true in this moment of time. Now, to be fair, we do have a couple of months. Maybe some of these players who are experiencing kind of a cold streak right now can turn it around. Uh, but we are coming, cutting it pretty close. So to wrap things up, this game against Japan was absolutely awful. And, and I think it really hurt U.S. men's national team fans because it forced us to confront some things that we didn't really want to confront. Uh, I, I think a lot of that goes towards that our manager is just not very good and is not going to be making a lot of uh, um, in-game changes that are going to help the team if things aren't going well. But I think another part of it is that some of these players that we put on a pedestal uh, as these great players are not always going to be great players. They're young and inconsistent, and and they're going to make mistakes. Uh, And and if things aren't going well, uh, the youth and inexperience of this squad is is not going to lend itself to a team that's going to dig out of that hole. Those those mistakes can very easily be compounded. They can get down on themselves, and we can end up in a situation like we saw against Japan, uh, which isn't very optimistic. Now, there is an optimistic side of this, and I think that is that a lot of the players that could fix what we saw against Japan weren't on the field. And they weren't on the field because they have long-term injuries. They were uh, off the field because they had little injuries that if it was a World Cup game, I have a feeling that they would be a part of. Uh, I I do think Yunus Musa fixes a lot of the issues that we saw against Japan. Uh, I I know that it's hard to look at that game and say that one player would make a big difference, but you got to understand that if there's one thing that's working, if there's one thing in the buildup that the Japanese have to respect, that opens up other things. And suddenly other options manifest themselves and you're getting down the field fluidly. Same to be said with Christian Pulisic. If he's in that game, it changes the way that the Japanese have to defend this. I think Jedi Robinson being on the field, uh, you don't have those issues where Sam Vines is not getting up, not stretching the defense, uh, in compacting things, um, making uh, the U.S. play narrow and playing into the Japanese hands. I think if Chris Richards is on the field, uh, you have a center back that's a little bit better at playing out of the back. And maybe Chris Richards can find the feet of Gio Reyna up the field, uh, which Aaron Long just was not comfortable doing at all at any point. Uh, And I guess we really shouldn't expect him to because he's not the type of player that can do that reliably. Uh, So I do think that we had the personnel that that could have fixed this game and we could have saw a much better team. Though I understand 
um, why we would be upset and why we would be hurt. I was definitely uh, kind of down in the dumps for a few days. Um, and I'm really hoping for the team to bounce back against Saudi Arabia. So those are my thoughts on where the team is at right now. I mean, that Japanese game, just bad coaching, bad tactics, uh, bad in-game adjustments, really bad performances from some players, uh, bad performances from players that we were expecting to have bad performances, but bad players from bad performances from players that we were, need to have good performances if we're going to do well as a team. I know there's been a lot of pain and the angst in the fan base uh, over the last few days. I've certainly experienced a lot of pain and angst. Uh, so maybe this video can be a therapy session for you and you can kind of let out some of that emotion in the comment section. Just try to do it, uh, I, I guess, in the comment section and not do it at other people. Let's keep in mind that, you know, coaches come and go. Players are going to come and go for this national team, but the fans, the people that support this this team are going to be here for a, a long time. So let's not make enemies of each other every time that the U.S. loses a game. Guys, the Since 76 Apparel store is open for a few more days. You can get this uh, The Yanks Are Coming t-shirt. Uh, it's available in a few colors. You can also get the Vamos Estados Unidos hat uh, in the store right now. I always get emails from people saying, you know, I missed it by a day. Can you open the store again? Make sure that you get it before the store closes. The store closes Tuesday. If you want the Yank Report and podcast form, you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. As always, si puede hablar espanol, dígame un comentario en espanol. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you want to support the channel, you can become a subscriber. You can like it. You can leave a comment. You can also become a member. Uh, members directly support me and allow me to keep doing this thing. It's become such a big help uh, and, and taking the load off of some of my uh, nine to five, which allows me to do put, put more energy and effort uh, into the Yank Report. So I appreciate all the members. Shout out to the tier two members, Manuel Olivares, Mike Irish, Chris Matassa, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, and Dan McVee. Guys, thank you so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.